We're going to pray over the word before we jump in. Jesus, thank you that you love us, that you're here with us, that you are alive and well. Thank you, Lord, you aren't buried in some tomb somewhere. Somewhere We're not just uh, philosophically talking about your goodness, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are the, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith, that you're alive and well. You're seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority, and uh, every one of your enemies is being made into your footstool, Lord. I thank you, Father, for it, that Satan's power is diminishing and your power is going greater, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for it. Lord, speak to us this morning from your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and teach us about Jesus this morning, to bring revelation to each of us individually. Lord, I pray that you would uh, preach the sermon that you desire into each person's heart this morning, to liberate them, Lord Jesus, to open up blind eyes, Father, to raise the dead pieces of their heart, Lord. Have your work this morning. Build your kingdom, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for it, that you're alive and well. In Jesus' name, amen. So back in early July, I preached a couple sermons on the first part of uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I want to kind of jump in and continue that. We'll see whether next week I do that. We'll we'll eventually uh, get them, and then we can make a CD or a cassette tape for you so you have them all in a row. That's an old, old, old thing. I... Yesterday I was going through a box of stuff and I came across a CD of my teaching from like 12 years ago. I'm like, I'd like to listen to it, but I don't even know if I have anything that I could play it on anymore, you know. Anyway, Matthew chapter 5, let's begin reading there. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is this called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first sermon that's recorded in the book of Matthew. It's kind of like the first thing that he says. It's the beginning of the teachings of Jesus uh, after 400 years of silence between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. And what's in, uh, important here that I want to make note uh, of is that Jesus shifted the narrative at this point. The narrative of the Old Testament was, look forward right now, you've got problems, you have the law, and you can never fulfill it, and you must look forward to the redemption of the Messiah. And you have to wait, just keep looking forward, hope. Jesus shifted that to now is the time I'm here, and you can and, can and will walk in the blessedness of the Father. So this narration shifts takes place to grab our attention. I don't know if you noticed, uh, someone pointed out to me that uh, Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher back in the uh, 
late 1800s, uh, made, pointed this out. And so I looked up his sermon and, and I read it. And, and the, he talked about how the end of the Old Testament, the very last words of the Old Testament, are a curse. We can look at that real quick just so that so you can, uh, I'll read it. You don't have to just trust me on it. Very last verse of the Old Testament and he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the, and the hearts of the children to the father. Least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. King James, least I, I come and curse the land. That's the very last line of the Old Testament. First thing that comes out of God's mouth, basically, and there's a few lines you can look like follow me and things like that. But the first time that Jesus really preaches, the first word that he comes out of his mouth is blessed. I am shifting the narrative from you're under a curse because of sin to I'm going to bless you and teach you how to walk in my holiness. I'm going to be with you in this. And you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. This is what I have for you. We now have experienced 2,000 years of living under this grace. We're just shy of it. It's like just a few years away from 2,000 years of grace. Do you realize that? Jesus said this around, I don't know what, 24, 26 AD, somewhere around in there, because the calendar's a little off. He died around 30. 29, 30, I mean, it's hard to tell exactly. No one really knows for sure, but around that time. So this is 2022. So we're just a few years off from 2,000 years of living under the blessedness of Jesus. And those that choose to move out of the curse and into the blessing can. John 1.17 says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The ability to come into the blessing. Galatians 3.13 says that he became the curse for us so that we could come into the blessing. Jesus absorbed the curse, fulfilled the law, so that we, through his sacrifice, would be able to Walk in this. So when it talks about all this blessed stuff, this isn't like something that's out there and, man, I, I sure wish that I could walk in some of this stuff and, boy, it sure would be nice to walk in some of this blessing. Like it's something contrary or outside of who you are as a follower of Jesus. This, these words here describe you. Now, maybe they don't describe you to the full extent that you want them to at this point, but they're available to you. This is where Jesus is leading you in the blessedness. From blessing to blessing to blessing to blessing to greater blessing to greater blessing to greater blessing. That's how Jesus works. He desires to build these things in you. Now something else I want to point out to you here is that uh, though we have a personal relationship with Jesus... Each of us individually. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And when we stand before him, we will give a personal account for our personal decisions. It's a very personal thing. At the same time, you'll notice here, throughout all of these, he says, theirs is the kingdom, those who mourn, 
they shall inherit. Those who hunger, they shall receive. They shall see. They shall be called. It's all a they. So though we have an individual, we walk out that individual within the family. And it's not separate. So yes, we do have this individual thing, an individual relationship, an individual responsibility. But we are in a family. The we, the me is inside of the we. And it can't be walked out any other way. So what does that mean? That means, you know, when, when you say things like, uh, or your heart says things like, well, that's, that's good for them, but it's not good for me. I'm going to do what's, what's great for me. You know, it's my relationship with Jesus. Well, if it's not our relationship to some degree, then you're probably off. And that's where you check yourself. The way we walk more in blessing is in relationship with one another as we spur one another on. Challenge us to get past the individualized hang-ups that keep us from going further in Jesus. How we bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, spur one another on, love one another, use our gifts with one another. So Jesus, from the beginning, is saying, I'm moving you from the curse to the blessing. And you're going to walk this out in family. You're not alone. I'm with you, and they'll be with you. The great cloud of witnesses. This is a family affair. We can look at this, these blessed things, and, you know, I've done some study on them, and... um, they're really good at maybe helping us to gauge where we are in our walk with the Lord, where our health is. They're a good way. I, I don't want to use like a, a measuring stick because measuring gives the, a little bit of the wrong connotation because it's not a, a judgment of, uh, well, she's a 10, but uh, he's just a 3 type thing, but it's an individualized so that I can figure out where I am with the Lord and be honest with myself. Questions like, blessed are the peacemakers. Am I a peacemaker? Would people describe me as, you know what, that person brings peace. Everywhere he goes, peace follows. Or is it a, wow, they walked in the room, here comes the thunderstorm, There's turmoil everywhere you go. Or am I a peacemaker? Do I have the purity of heart? Or am I desiring greater purity, in need of purity? Do I see things the way God sees it? Or do I see things the way I see it or my political party sees it or... Anything else? Do I have the purity of heart of Jesus? These are hard questions to ask, but we do from time to time need to ask ourselves these questions. Otherwise, we just go along and realize we haven't grown. We're stale. We're stagnant. 
Blessed are the merciful. Am I showing mercy? Am I somebody who goes and forgives? Am I quick to forgive when someone has a problem with me? Or is it like years? Or I look like I was baptized in vinegar. I have so much bent up unforgiveness that it just wrinkles me. Where's my heart? Am I walking in the full blessing of Jesus? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Am I hungry for more of God? Or am I just, eh, well, it's something that I do. I know I need to check that box. It's fire insurance. You know, or am I hungry for it? Do I desire it? Am I meek? Do I mourn? Am I poor? First Corinthians 11.31 tells us to judge ourselves because basically Paul makes the argument, if you judge yourself, then you won't have to be judged. So it's far better for you to, to, to be honest with yourself and deal with the issues than to have to stand before the Lord and go, ouch, sorry, Lord. <laughs> now, I really like bald eagles. I have this affinity right now for bald eagles. Uh, and there's this, I know it's crazy, but there's this road nearby my house. It's 169 in Kansas. And there's this old dairy farm right by a bunch of warehouses that are being built up. And there was this lake there. And there would be bald eagles that would come and sit on the fence or on the edge of the little pond there. And you're driving by and there's nowhere to stop. So I can't take a picture. You're, you're going by at 60 mile an hour and everybody else is going with you. And we'd always, Jill and I now look. Because at first she thought, well, you're just making this up. Because I'd be like, the bald eagle was back today. Actually, there were two of them today. you know. And I'd tell her that. And she's like, sure, I've never seen them. I said, well, you just need to look. And finally she saw him and she's texting me. The eagles are there today. Beautiful bald eagles, young bald eagles sitting there. And now they're beginning to do construction, so I may, my eagles may leave. But my point is, I got good at being able to see what is an eagle and what is a vulture. You know, so they sort of look from a distance. They, those those e vulture things that fly around, they, they look a little bit alike. And in the very beginning, though, when I first saw it, nearby my house, there's this empty field right now. It's getting ready to be houses, but there was an empty field, and off in the distance was a tree, and up at the top of the tree was a nest, a big nest. And I was positive it was an eagle's nest. And I could see the bird hovering way off, and it would fly and it would land in the nest. But it was just so far away that I couldn't see it well with my naked eye. My phone could not zoom in far enough. My camera, even with the telephoto lens, couldn't get close enough that I could really see what it looked like. But I tried. I mean, I got as far into that field as I could, but there's a bull in there, and I wasn't going to chase. <laughs> wasn't going to be stupid. Finally, though, after some research, I realized the nest was too small. And then I realized it was just hawks. 
It wasn't eagles. Not the first ones I'd solved, the ones in this other field nearby me. So I've gotten better at being able to tell what is an eagle's nest and what is a hawk's nest. There's actually on the way to Sabetha, where my wife's from, up on the top of a cell phone tower, off in the distance, is a humongous nest. And I've seen a bald eagle sitting by the road nearby there. So I'm pretty much sure, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a place to stop and do some experimenting to see if that's actually a bald eagle's nest up there. Because they live up in southern Nebraska, right across the line. My point is, I have studied to be able to tell what's a bald eagle off in the distance and what's not. Because I want to catch the bald eagles. I want to see them. In the same way, these verses help to really define and catch for you what it is to follow Jesus. The markings of a Christian. What sets us apart? It's not the fact that we go to church on Sunday. It's not the fact that we tithe. It's not the fact that we do this or that. Or the, God forbid, it's not the way we dress. We have every style here, and I love it. It is being peacemakers, the purity of heart, being merciful, hungering for righteousness, being meek, mourning our sin, and being poor in spirit or humble. Those are the markings that set us apart where people go, oh, now that's a follower of Jesus. I see Jesus in them. This isn't to condemn us because condemnation is the opposite of what Jesus desires to do. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. So if you're feeling condemned, tell it to shut up. It's not Jesus. It's not good to beat yourself up with this. Well, if only if I was more pure, only if I was more humble, only if I, and just beat yourself up with it, that doesn't work either. That brings nothing. That is just self-hatred. It's not Jesus. This calls us to be honest with ourselves and with God. It just calls us to get, get real. You know, authenticity, everybody wants authenticity, but this is a good place where we walk it out. Just being real. Amen, bro. Matthew 5, or Matthew, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and you will be healed. Confess your faults. You know how you got you know how you what you first need to do to be able to confess your faults? You gotta be honest that you've got them. You can't have a mask on and be religious and confess your faults. You know, it's got to be real. Okay, this is where I struggle. This is where the devil yanks, yanks, yanks a chain that really shouldn't be there for me, but it is. This is where I don't trust Jesus. This is what gets me angry. This is where my flesh still is. It's being honest. 
What these blessed do is they remind us of our legacy, what we'll leave behind. When the Lord calls us home, what will be left? Will it be humility and mourning of sin and and meekness and hunger and thirst for righteousness, mercy that was spread all around, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is it purity of heart? Is it peace that was spread making? What is the legacy that we leave behind? That cross over there, that cross uh, can be taken all apart. It can be, it's, it's mobile. It has screws in it that are being taken apart. And it was designed by a lady named Penny. And Penny was a member of our body for a number of years and then got wounded by our leadership and left. And lived away for a number of years, still loving Jesus, but carrying a wound. Then Penny moved back in the area and the Lord brought her back into our fellowship. I think it was around 2015. And she came in and at first there were a lot of walls. A lot of, um, I would walk into uh, stab wounds every time I got near her. But after having conversations with her, I realized, oh, our leadership hurt you. And by our leadership, that's still us whether it was some other pastor before or some other associate pastor, it doesn't make a difference. It's still us. And if we're going to love one another, we've got to take responsibility for when we fail as a body and do it. And it was a great growing, response, uh, growing opportunity for myself. I realized these are some of the things that were clicking with me. And I was like, you know what, Penny? I'm sorry. I'm sorry we failed you. And I, and I took responsibility for that person's actions. Because I'm the lead pastor, so, I mean, who else is going to, you know? And so I took response, and I apologized to her. I mean, I apologized to her. And she broke. And it just began to heal. And she died a a few months later of cancer. So she had kind of come home to get healing. And the Lord allowed us to grow and to learn and for her to receive healing. And so the legacy that she left when she passed away was this cross that she designed and paid for that had been sitting in our church for years and nobody knew she had done it. And peace, mercy, purity of heart. That's the legacy that Penny left behind for us to see and champion, and move forward on. There's a good set of sermons out there. I mean, I'm listening to them. I enjoy them, and they're inspiring me. It's by a pastor named Colin Smith up in Chicago. And uh, he was teaching on this, and he talked about monkey bars. Do you guys know what monkey bars are? I 
And so us older generation, we know them because we still have these back before they were probably outlawed for breaking kids' arms and things, but they were a lot of fun. <laughs> I have a whole set of them. But he used monkey bars as kind of an analogy to, and I thought it was good, so I'm going to use it as well, but I wanted to give him credit. It's not my own idea. So imagine each of these beatitudes as a set of monkey bars. That you start on one end and your goal is to get to the other end. And you start with this first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't start on the end, blessed are the peacemakers. You don't jump, I don't know if you guys ever did that, jump and try to grab a monkey bar further, further down. It don't work too well. You can't jump to the end. You start at the beginning and you swing to the next one. And you swing to the next one. And you just keep reaching to get all the way to becoming a peacemaker. You can't carry peace around you if you're not poor in spirit, if you haven't mourned, if you aren't meek. So if you're judging yourself by being a peacemaker, but you haven't dealt with your heart and become poor in spirit, learn to walk out the morning and learn to walk in the meekness, you're setting a standard for yourself that isn't right. You've gone too far. You need to stop. If you're looking for purity in heart and beating yourself up because your heart isn't as pure as it needs to be, yet you have not walked out the being poor in spirit, the mourning, and the meekness. Again, you're trying to jump too many rings ahead. You'll get there, but walk out these other ones first. As you go, you gain strength and momentum. You start by understanding that you are poor in spirit, and that gives you strength to move into the morning. I'll talk more about and define the rest of these here in a moment. But when you lose momentum, I don't know if you ever did that before, where you swang and, and then you couldn't get the next one, and each time you, swang, you got further and further away, and before you know it, you're just hanging there. <laughs> and you're like, what do I do? Well, the only option is to let go and start over. If you've at a place in your life where you're like, you know, I'm, I'm on between ring three and ring four, and I, I really want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but it's just not happening. Help me, Lord. Stop. Let go. Go back around. Get on the beginning again and start with being poor. Being poor in spirit is basically humility. It's recognizing I don't have what I need to be able to do this. I can only do this in Jesus. You can't accept his riches if you don't realize you're poor. Too often we come to the table with, hey, Jesus, look what I got. You could use all of this. You know, look at my natural talent. Look at my finances. Look at my uh, birthright position. Look at the way I dress. You know, look at, you didn't have to make that much <laughs> No, but look at all these great things I bring to the table. And Jesus lovingly but honestly says, none of those things will get you where I need you to go. None of them. 
And they'll all become stumbling blocks for you until you surrender them and say, Jesus, I ain't got nothing on my table. I'm surprised you even love me, but man, I accept it. I accept your love. I am poor in spirit. Thank you that you accept me in my poverty. Now, I want to clarify that these Beatitudes are not salvation. This is not how you get saved. Like you're saved when you finally get to the last one, which is being persecuted for your faith, number eight. No. And until you reach there, you're just not good enough for Jesus. No. Salvation is outside of this. Salvation is what gets you um, into the so you can begin to see. Jesus touches your heart and you respond in humility. Wow, Jesus. Yes, Lord, I accept your salvation. I bring nothing to it. I cannot save myself. It's like you walk onto the first one and then you continue to walk that out. This is how you grow in your faith. How to gauge how you're growing in your faith. Let me clarify a couple more things. So it seems that these first three are kind of in a category to themselves. They're like the root of the tree or the root of the plant. They're what goes deep. The understanding that I bring nothing to the table. I'm poor in spirit. I cannot save myself. I cannot offer you anything, Jesus. Number two, blessed are those who mourn. That is me recognizing that I have failed in my life, understanding my sin and mourning over my sin. And it's not just the uh, individual stuff. It really is as you uh, grow in your faith and as you uh, get older in your faith, you begin to look back and go, wow, even where I thought I had done right, I was so off, Jesus. And not only my sin, but the sin to the world and the sin that's around me and the death that it brings. And, and it's a heart of mourning for sin. I don't love sin. I mourn sin. And you grow in that, but it begins with your own. I mourn what I did, how I walked out. And as you reveal things to me, I mourn of my attitudes and my hidden secret heart. Maybe my actions were perfected, but now I mourn my heart. Because those people didn't see, but you saw my heart. You saw the attitude of my heart, and that's what I mourn, Lord. Meekness is not being a pushover. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is submission to Jesus. I know I've described it to you before, but meekness is the, the Greek word is the, the word they use when they're training war horses. It's the same word. To be meeked is to get a horse so that it will respond only to its master's commands, even in the midst of battle. It does nothing outside of what the master, it, the guy who's riding and controlling it, tells it to do. And it is never freaked out by the war going on around it. 
It doesn't respond. Bombs going off, swords clanking nearby it, it ignores it. And for us, that means we don't respond to the circumstances, situation, or battles. We don't lose our faith. We don't freak out. We don't try to run. We don't try to kick off of our, kick off our rider. I got to get out of here. Jesus, see you later, bud. And we listen for his voice. So we don't respond to what Satan is doing. We respond and listen to what Jesus is saying. That's what meeked means. That's completely different than the, I don't know, 1970s Jesus of Nazareth. If you've ever seen that one, where he looked stoned. Be like Jesus. Uh. This is extreme strength. Imagine the strength of a horse that could kill its rider if he wanted to. Run away if he wanted to. Do his own thing if he wanted to. But that strength submitted to the voice of Jesus and not submitted to the atmosphere or circumstances around it. My trust in my rider is not swayed by the bombs going off nearby me. Wow. When you do that, your roots go deep. So imagine this plant... And then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You begin to really hunger and thirst more and more for Jesus. Because you see his beauty. I want more and more. And that's from those roots, this shoot shoots out of the ground. And that's that shoot. That's that plant coming up. Man, I want to grow. I want to know you, Jesus. And you go even further. As you go up, you go even further down. Getting all the way down to the good water of Jesus. And finally, the last three are the fruit that pop out. You're merciful. You forgive. You show mercy. You're not judgmental. I think he wants you. He's so cute. Purity of heart. Man, you're just walking out the purity. And it comes natural for you. It's not something you put on. It's not something you pretend because all your other religious friends pretend the same way. You really are pure of heart. You've seen Jesus. You're like Jesus. You begin to smell and look and act like Jesus. Not because you try, it's because your heart has changed. So if you're pure right now because you're really good at faking it, let me just encourage you, get out of that. There's no life in that. That's a prison. It just holds you back. It's horrible. The faking it, oh my word. Don't do that to yourself. Let Jesus build the real purity of heart in you that comes from fellowship with him. And the last thing there is peace. You're just bringing peace. It's coming out of you because you've been around Jesus. These are the fruit. You know the good thing about fruit? Fruit trees, what do they do to them to produce better, more fruit? 
They prune. Jesus, I don't like this situation that I'm in right now. I know, Matt. But I tell you what, give it some time. It's going to produce great fruit. You're going to be even purer of heart. You're going to be more merciful, less judgmental. And you're going to be a peacemaker to a greater degree. Because that's who I am and I want you like me. So if you'll let me walk you through this, you won't react to it anymore. Let me meet you in this area. Do you have what it takes? Well, I still think I do have what it takes, Lord. But I'll walk until I finally surrender. That's that poor in spirit. I'm back to the first ring again. All of this opens our eyes to Jesus. The Beatitudes point to Jesus. They point and they say, you are in relationship with the King of Kings. You are in relationship with God Almighty. And this is who He is. And He's just going to like leaven, leavens an entire lump. He's going to just leaven all through you. It's called sanctification by His Holy Spirit. And this is how you're going to look. You're going to be poor in spirit. You're going to mourn and you're going to see. And it'll be okay that you're mourning because you'll be comforted. You're going to be meek and you're going to inherit. You're going to be hunger and thirst and you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be merciful and you'll receive mercy. You'll be pure in heart and you'll see God. You'll see me as I am more and more and more. All the boxes you've placed me in, I'm just going to blow them out one by one and you'll get to see it. You'll see who I really am. And you'll be a peacemaker and you'll be one of my kids. This is what Jesus is saying. And as you walk this out, man, woo! I'm worshiping you, Jesus. I see your love. So as we're closing today, let me just remind you. The first step is seeing his love for you. And that brings the poverty of spirit. I don't know why you love me. I don't have anything to offer on the table. But I see your love for me. You love me in the midst of my chaos. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered upon the chaos of the world. Remember Genesis 1-2? Jesus hovered on my chaos in June, beginning in June of 19... Well, he did it before, but I finally saw it in June of 1987. And I was like, wow, I sat in the very back row, like where Michelle's sitting at the church down in Mississippi, and I just sat there and wept because I felt his love for me in my chaos. And when you see it, how can you respond but, Lord, I'm poor in spirit. Help me. You see his love, you feel his love, his love begins to pour over these areas, and you're like, wow, Lord, I'm so broken. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I'm, you begin to mourn over your sin. I'm sorry, Lord, that I didn't trust you. I'm sorry that I uh, found my own ways to deal with my pain. I'm sorry that I treated other people not the way you would have treated them. I'm sorry. That, and you begin to deal and mourn with because you feel his love. Then you begin to trust his love when he says, okay, I want you to trust me with your finances, Matthew. 
I want you to trust me that I'm never going to leave you, Matthew. Stop trying to get somebody around you constantly. Trust me that I love you and be alone. Just a couple examples. You see his love, you feel his love, you trust his love. Then you're like, wow, I really like this. You're really good. I want more. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want more of your love. I want to experience more of this. And he's like, great. Let me show you some more and let you feel it and then call you into a deeper trust. And then you eventually get to the point where you're like, you know, Lord, I want to give your love to others. I want to give it out, Lord. I want to be merciful. You were merciful to me. How could I not forgive them for what they did? How could I not say, you know, I'm going to forgive my parents. I'm going to forgive my siblings. I'm going to forgive my, the one kid in high school who spit on me. I'm going to forgive, you know. And you begin to go through and you begin to forgive and let go of all your rightful offenses. Because you felt the love of Jesus. You're like, Jesus, I really, I, I want them to feel this love. Because I, I know if they feel this love, and I'm not going to hold, hold them back from feeling your love. Only got two more, guys. Then you begin to show his love. You're pure of heart. You begin to show it wherever where you go. You know how this is. When you're pure of heart, you're like, man, I could hug a tree. I just love everybody. I just feel the love of Jesus in my heart. It's just, you know, I used to be a jerk, and now I'm just like going around. I, people have to say, whoa, dude, give me space. Because <laughs> Jesus has so changed me. I can't help but just be friendly and love and smile. Then you begin to multiply his love by being peacemakers. By actually changing the situations around you and speaking his peace into it and bringing his peace and asking for forgiveness even when it wasn't you who did it. You begin to bring peace because bringing peace is more important than your own whatever. Begin to lay down your life and love. No greater love has man than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. Brings peace to them. Ends the wars. This is all difficult at times to walk out, but you know what? If you start on the first ring and you say, Jesus, this is my empty table. This is what I got, Lord. I ain't got nothing. Heck, I don't even have a table. Will you take me? And you begin to walk that out. When you get to the hard stuff, you've already built up the muscles of walking with Jesus. Your trust in him. You're just a meek horse and you're like, he leads you. And yes, Lord, I'm going there. I woke this morning with like just an overwhelming uh, love for you guys. And I knew it wasn't mine. I knew it was the Lord's. And I was just laying in bed going, Jesus, 
Holy Spirit, it just feels so good to feel your love for this body. I can just, so how much the Lord loves you guys, each and every one of you. Just the love that he has for you. I was just blessed by the ability to feel a little bit this morning. It's, it's yours. It isn't mine to hold on to. It's yours. His love for you, his pleasure in you is just overwhelming. It's euphoric. You're blessed. You're blessed. So wherever you are on the monkey bars, keep going. If you're just hanging there, let go. Go back to the beginning and start swinging again. Keep going. Don't give up. Man, the love of Jesus is worth it. Going deeper and deeper in his love. Forgive, let go, whatever you need to do. Jesus has more for you. So I encourage you this week, read through these and let Jesus, let the Holy Spirit speak to you in these blesseds, these beatitudes. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful body. Those that are online, Father, those that will hear this later on the podcast, those that are here right now, Father, I thank you, Lord, for each and every single one of them, Lord, for your plan, your best, Father. I ask you, Lord, to touch them, direct them, Lord Jesus, speak to their hearts, bring the hope and faith that they need, bring the breakthrough, the, the victory, Lord, show yourself strong, show them more of your love, Father. Bring them from ring to ring to ring to ring, Lord, greater and greater amounts of your grace and your love. I thank you, Jesus, that you are victorious and that you're faithful and that you said that you're the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we rest in your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. Complete your work. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.